It is Thursday, October 8th, 2020. I'm Kevin Williams. This is another edition of the LDS Life Podcast. By the way, if you have any guests or any topics you'd like to bring up, please don't hesitate to email me, kevinw at ldslifepodcast.com. That's kevinw at ldslifepodcast.com. Love to hear from you. Also, don't forget to check me out. Uh, don't forget to check out the podcast on Facebook at LDS Live or LDS Life. Also on Twitter, although I haven't been on Twitter in a long time, but that is also at LDS Life as well. Mindy Croft is my guest today. By the way, Mindy, is your last name German? It is, yes. Yeah, I, I figured, okay. I'm just interested in last names. All right, so Mindy Croft is my guest. She's uh, in a lawsuit right now with the governor, the governor of Utah. We'll get into that in a few minutes. But Mindy, let's uh, talk. Oh, by the way, for those of you that care, I am doing the podcast in Oregon this week. This week. Now, uh, the next podcast you'll hear, hopefully in the next week or two, I'll be back in my home base, Montana, Billings. But uh, I kind of like it here on vacation the problem I have with Montana is it's out the middle of nowhere. Now, Billings is pretty civilized, but you, you, the problem is, uh, Mindy, you're in Cedar City. I am. Cedar City is a small town, but at least I can get out of Cedar City pretty easily. I can go to Vegas. I can go to Salt Lake. I can go to Idaho if I want. I just have to make reservations through the Salt Lake Express shuttle. No, this is not an advertisement, by the way. Um, but with Montana Billings, I can't get out of Billings without a lot of red tape in terms of trying to go to, go through the Jefferson bus lines and I have to stop at a hub and then transfer. It's just a mess, at least here in Baker. If I wanted to uh, go to Baker to Portland, I could, uh, just as long as I have make a Greyhound bus reservation. For those of you that don't know, I'm blind. And that's why this is such a big deal. But anyway, I'm here in Oregon. And uh, Mindy, let's talk a little bit about yourself. Are you a Utah native? I am, yep. Born and raised in Utah my whole life. And are, you're, you live in Cedar City. Where in Utah were you raised at? Um, I lived in, in the Salt Lake area until I was 15. And then my family moved to Gunnison. Um, and then when I was 18, I moved to Cedar City. And I've been here ever since. Gunner said, wow, that's a, that's a culture shock, isn't it? It really was a huge culture shock. <laughs> what did your fo- why did your folks decide to move to Gunderson? Um, it, the, the crime in Salt Lake was kind of getting bad. The schools were a little scary. Um, and they, my parents always just wanted to live in a small farming town. And so. Yeah, I remember to- that. Uh, you, you graduated in what, 96? Yes. Yeah, so I remember the crime was pretty bad, especially around 92, 93, what, from about 93 to 96, probably. I remember that. I'm not from Utah, but I remember going down to Utah and people would constantly complain about the crime. And I remember one time in the spring of 95, my uncle said, oh, uh, going back to graffiti country. Yeah, I remember that. Anyway, uh, let's just learn a little bit about you. So is there anything in your childhood that sticks out you want to talk about? Oh, I have a lot of things that stick out, good and bad. <laughs> but um, what's your favorite memory? Uh, I think my probably my favorite memory was uh, the year that we couldn't afford to have Christmas. Which yeah, sounds, I can relate. <laughs> but we decided to give Christmas instead, and um, it was 
it was the best Christmas I ever had as a child. What year was that? Oh, that would have been around 1990. Okay. Yeah, I actually did a podcast on the worst Christmas I had, but the best for me. Uh, so I can relate. And uh, you're LDS. Do you have any Pioneer stock? I do. I, I don't know much about my genealogy. I've tried to learn, but it takes up a lot of time. So. Oh, yeah. Speaking of taking up a lot of time, you've got some uh, things that are taking up your time. Let's get into this lawsuit that you've got going on. Because on March 6, Governor Gary Herbert signed an executive order to have Utah in the state of emergency. And my understanding, I was a little confused about reading the lawsuit here because I don't think it went into effect completely until March 12th. Am I correct? I was a little confused on some of the dates and some of my memory, which we'll get into in a few minutes. Um, I, I think, I don't, you know, I really don't remember if, um, I mean, the lawsuit's 46 pages long, so I don't remember every detail, but that's why we have our attorney. So. Yeah. Well, I, I remember I was in Montana because I was getting ready to move up there and I came back on March 14th, I believe is what it was. And I went on a date that night and we actually went into Cafe Rio, no masks or any of that. This is in March. Mm-hmm. And I kept reading news articles and the lawsuit. It said March 12th. Maybe, I don't know. But I do remember just a few days later, Utah was in fact in the state of emergencies and the restaurants shut down. You could go in and get your order, but you could not sit down and eat. And actually, I thought it was an okay decision, even though I wasn't thrilled about it, because being the conservative that I am, I also realize that we are in reality. I also realize that uh, there's such fear going on and we're tied to the government so much now that I realized, okay, I'll give Governor Herbert a chance. You know, maybe we can resolve something in this 30 days. I wasn't completely optimistic that this this executive order would go away. However, uh, it's gone on for way too long. And the problem is, for example, I'm reading here. Let me get into my notes here. I'm reading here, I believe it was... Uh, March, oh, hang on, my Braille note's acting crazy. Uh, I believe, though, it was June 18th, I believe is what it was, that Governor Herbert issued the mask order. And, you know, the, the point is he, keeps, he kept adding things to this lawsuit that were completely unnecessary. Right. And I think that's one of the problems. So how did you get started into this lawsuit? So I have a, my youngest is 17 years old. She's a senior in high school and she's a type one diabetic. Um, She has had some problems with depression, especially when everything was shut down and she couldn't work or go to school. Um, So when she went back to work, she had to wear a mask, um, which I wasn't thrilled about, but it was better than her being depressed. And so, um, and I figured it, that was okay. It was her choice to wear a mask and work. Um, but then we noticed some major problems with her blood sugar whenever she would wear a mask. Um, so then when the governor mandated that children have to wear masks, uh, I told my husband, we're going to go get an exemption for her because she cannot wear a mask all day long. It will, I'm, I mean, it's causing her damage to her body. So we, 
Um, so I went to her doctor and because the doctors had been told not to give um, mask exemptions, she was refused a mask exemption. Um, so I, at that point I was just fed up because I know the science on masks. I know that they, they don't prevent the things that they say they're preventing. Um, and so I was in a Facebook group with a group of people that felt the same way that I did. We were strangers um, and somebody mentioned a lawsuit and I jumped on board and that's kind of how we got started with this. So you're not the original plaintiff then. You're, you're part of the eight. Do you know who the original plaintiff is? You know, I don't know that there was one original plaintiff. It was kind of an idea um, that several people kind of got together and um, talked about. And so, um, and there were eight of us that ended up signing on. A couple didn't want to for personal reasons. Um, but they've been helping us. And so, and a couple of those were actually part of the original people that started the idea for the lawsuit and actually got in touch with Morgan Philpot. So I don't know that there's any one person that um, we could say was, you know, started the whole thing. It was kind of a group effort. By the way, I want to talk about the masks for a minute because I know there's a great debate in the medical community. I actually have a bishop in Montana who is a surgeon and he would, he even told me, that masks don't work as much as you might think. Right. And now the, the argument is, and people have used this to me, and I just, was, uh, I just was notified last night about something. Well, how come surgeons and how come medical doctors wear masks? Well, first of all, you have to remember that everything in that room before surgery takes place or before dental checkup takes place that room has to be absolutely sterilized and rightfully so. Right. But, and all the mask does is you don't want blood spewing in your face or you don't want, you know, if somebody's coughing in their sleep or something, you don't want that transmitting into your face when the person can't cover their mouth because they're sleeping. Right. Uh, but the mask, even the mask itself to my understanding, doesn't do a whole lot unless you have a really specialized medical mask, which uh, my understanding is not available to the public. Right. And so th they have special masks. I think what would be a good alternative, I don't want to get too off topic because I, I want to talk about this lawsuit, but just to put things into perspective, I think a good alternative would be if we had something like, and everybody could buy this and wear this if they wanted, I think it would be nice if we had something like a miniature respirator that you could carry around if you feel so inclined. Yeah. So the respirator, so the way it would work is that you would have oxygen, you could breathe in and out, and it would be hooked up to a little tank. Maybe it would give you three or four hours of oxygen, and there you'd still have to figure out how to talk and carry on conversations. But I think something like that would be very ideal in a situation like this, don't you? I think that would be an option for, for people that choose to. My, my personal belief on masks is um, if you're sick and you have to go out of your house, if you can't stay home, then you should you know, maybe wear a mask if, 
if you know that you're sick, but masks. I can agree with that. My, my problem with the masks, if somebody wants to wear a mask, in principle, I don't care. Right. I understand that masks have a psychological effect. I understand because we've been so ingrained to think masks are the savior. Mm-hmm. Oh, so-and-so has a mask. I get it. My problem is, and I know you agree with me, I don't think it's the government's job to force people to wear a mask, nor do I like this nonsense of, sorry, that's my Braille note. It was causing me issues. Nor do I like this nonsense of people ratting each other out. Did you know in New York, I think it's, uh, they have a three, or let's see, yeah, three-digit number you can call, and you can rat someone out for not wearing a mask in New York City. Did you know that? Well, I've heard about that in different places, so. and Yeah, it's crazy. They had a, they had a, snitch line as people call it for uh if people weren't socially distancing or um or out in public it was ridiculous yeah and i i think that this is absolutely unnecessary it's one thing to encourage a mask and if you have the right mask like i was proposing like a respirator type thing that would be great but for heaven's sakes don't force it on the whole population it it's communism it's a form of communism, and it's just not, you know that there's going to be, this mask is just something that is going to happen in the future. Yep. And I, that's why there's people out there, and we'll get into him in a few, we'll get into him later in the podcast. That's why there's people out there, like Ammon Bundy, making a big stink over this, is now you may not agree with his tactics, that's fine, but at least he's out there standing up for what he's believing in. And, it, and by the way, I just thought about this last night. Uh, Ammon Bundy is actually using the liberal tactics against the liberals, don't you think? I do, yeah. So he's actually giving the liberals a taste of their own medicine, and they hate it. But yeah. let, we'll talk about that later. I'm just looking at my notes here. Um, on June 18th, Governor Herbert did uh, sign the uh, did get the approval from the legislature to extend the executive order to uh, August 20th. And on June 26th, the governor also signed an executive order, probably adding on to the one that he originally signed in March, is my understanding. Looking at the articles, that the facilities owned by the state you have to wear a mask. Yep, and so where, I understand that you had a meeting last week. How did that meeting go? I know it was in, uh, it was in South Jordan at some pool place, wasn't it? It was, yeah. One of, um, one of the ladies that's been helping us with the lawsuit has an office at a, it's a landscaping and where they sell pools and hot tubs and they have um, conference rooms and places to have a meeting with, you know, several people. So they're kind enough to let us meet there with the attorney. So, and um, how did that go? Can you talk about that meeting? What happened? How did, how did that go? Um, it, it was very long. <laughs> um, Morgan Philpot likes to talk, uh, but it's listening to him talk about this lawsuit and um, his beliefs. It's fascinating. Uh, the meeting was um, basically it was to get help get other people on board to 
because we have to have people supporting this lawsuit. We, we have to. So that's what the meeting was for. And he was explaining his um, strategy and, and that he believes that um, how necessary this is and, and how far gone the government has become where, I mean, it's just, it's out of control. And so um, but it was, it was a good meeting. So hopefully things will start moving forward quicker. Yeah. Now, is there any hope? Has there been, I understand you need $100,000 for this at least. Have you gotten what you needed yet? Not yet. Um, so we've raised a total of about 40 between the two different fundraisers. Um, but, and the reason we need so much money is, well, I mean, the state of Utah obviously has unlimited resources. They can, you know, and I don't even know how many attorneys to help. Um, so Morgan believes that this will get denied at the district level pretty quickly, just because even though it should be an easy case, because the constitution, the Utah constitution is clear. And it is clear that if a state of emergency is to go beyond 30 days, it needs to be a joint resolution of the legislature. The governor does not have the authority to extend that state of emergency. So it should be an easy case, but because of how politicized everything has been and um, he thinks it'll be denied pretty quickly and go to the appellate court, so um, the reason that we need such so much money is we need um, appellate attorneys to help us with this. So, um, yeah. Uh, now, are you getting more money, let's say, as opposed to last week? It kind of ebbs and flows. It's it, whenever we have a rally or um, something like that, we seem to get, you know, usually at least a few thousand dollars in a day. And then people kind of forget about it for a few days. And then, you know, when we go talk to people or have meetings, um, then it kind of, you know, goes up. And, so. Well, I think a lot of that is the media's fault. They're probably not covering it. I know you got some coverage on Fox 13 and ABC4, but as far as I can tell, that's about it, isn't it? Well, I think, so the Salt Lake Tribune was the first to post an article about it. Um, and I think most of the news stations covered it. It was very quick. It was like a two minute segment and then they've never mentioned it again. So. Yeah. And by the way, that just proves my point because if somebody wasn't wearing a mask, the media would be covering that depending on who that individual is. Right. Quite often. Yep. Yeah. And so I understand, I know that you're using, and I, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I know that you're using First Nephi and the Book of Alma, chapter 43, verse 9, and First Nephi, chapter 1, verse 7. Do you want to quote these verses and tell us why you're using those verses oh. to justify the lawsuit? Um, I'd have to find them. I don't, e I don't even have them, so... Um... Let's see if I can find them. This. Um, oh, by the way, while you're finding that, let me just uh, tell you here, because I've been looking at my notes as we've been talking. June 18th, the legislature passed a resolution to extend Governor Herbert's order until August 20th. Right. Then, 
On August 20th, the legislature said no, this order does not need to be extended, but Governor Herbert went and extended it anyway until September 19th, which September 19th has come and gone, and the executive order is still around. Now, I've heard, and while you're looking this up, I've heard that the legislature has pretty much given Governor Herbert any immunity to a lawsuit. Have you heard that? Um, I have, but that is, and we, we did ask the attorney about that, but that is relating to um, the COVID measures. However, you can, um, no legislative body can grant themselves or anybody else immunity if they are breaking the constitution, basically. So um, so that that immunity would not apply to this law, to this lawsuit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can see your case. Uh, did you find those scriptures or not? Um, I, you said Nephi 1. Yeah, Nephi chapter 1, verse 7. Yeah, so um, it says, In framing the Utah Constitution, they first and foremost acknowledged Almighty God for the gift of life and liberty. Most of the early framers of Utah's Constitution held to a belief that this land was consecrated by God himself, as a land of liberty. What is your overall take? Do you think things are going well? Do you think that this lawsuit will actually get off the ground? What do you think is going to happen? Because I would hate to just see this being talked about and then all of a sudden you didn't have enough money. This lawsuit's, we've, we've had enough, uh, we've had enough time to raise money. What, what, what is your prediction? Well, I, I believe that if we get enough people behind us, then we will win this lawsuit because I agree be easy, but we've got to have, I believe that there was um, divine intervention that brought the eight of us, 10 of us together that started this. I mean, like I said, we were virtual strangers and this kind of came about in about 48 hours. Um, and so I believe that we have the power of the Lord behind us, but we need the power of the people. And so that's why we're trying to get the word out because, you know, we've got to have the, the power of the people behind us as well. Absolutely. And I think you're right. I, th I think that this could be a success if, in fact, enough people get behind it. I've heard so many people say over the past five or so years, oh, if I, I'm just one person, I'm not going to get involved in politics. I hear this all the time from family members. Yes. Well, you know what? I've gotten involved in politics. I'll tell you a personal story. I may have told this on, the, on my podcast. Did you know that in Salt Lake back in 2015, there was a big movement to basically get rid of rideshare applications in the Salt Lake area? Did you know that? I, I'm not sure if I did or not. It seems like I heard something, but I... I don't live yeah. out there. So it was yeah, there was a big to-do. And the city council said, oh, we don't want to get rid of these services. We just want to have them follow the rules like the cab companies. Yeah, well, I've been in, the, I've been in these circles long enough to know that that's code for getting rid of it right. and basically keeping the competition. There's a lot. I don't want to get into it, but there is a lot of crony capitalism going on with the cab companies. And mm -hmm. so when Uber came in and Lyft, it was basically uh, disruptive technology. And obviously the cabs and other people were going to be very upset about this. It's, it reminds me, have you read the book Atlas Shrugged? Um, I have not. 
I haven't read that one. Atlas Shrugged is a book that talks about crony capitalism. It was written by Ayn Rand in 1954. And it basically, it's a story about industrialist people, people from the railroad, people from the steel industry, oil. And they got together and, you know, at, at their own separate times, were trying to make innovative products, innovative steel that would last 30, 40 years uh, railroad lines that would go to places that trains never have gone to before. And the government just basically passed rules that would prevent them from making such products because Orrin Boyle, the steel company, they've been making steel for so long, heaven forbid somebody, you know, uh, somebody competes with them, heaven forbid. Right. And it, it's basic, and uh, the same, oh gosh, uh, we got somebody competing with our railroad industry, Taggart Railroad, uh-oh. So it's all these people, these establishment, the establishment people got together and worked with the legislature what to do so that these people wouldn't be successful. Well, that's kind of how it was in Salt Lake. And so I, with several other people, got together and we decided to go to the city council and express our views. Now, the point is, if we could, you know, I did that and we won. Yeah. The legislature of Utah said, nope, you can't do that. And we won. So I tell this to my family, oh, yeah, you're different because you're blind. And no, I, I don't think so. I think that this lawsuit has potential. Like you said, we've, we've got to get involved. Yeah. Yep. And by the way, I'm looking up this scripture here, so I'm going to keep talking here. But while I'm looking this up, I'm going to look up First uh, Nephi chapter 1, verse 7. But while I'm looking this up, I want to ask you, what do you think of Ammon Bundy and his tactics because we had an incident happen over the weekend in Idaho when I was there. Yep. And I heard all about it. It was, uh, for those of you that don't know, Ammon Bundy, I interviewed on the podcast. He went and occupied the federal building in Burns, Oregon, or outside of Burns. And it was the Malheur Refuge. I actually know people who've been there personally. And... He went to prison over this for a few years and got let out, or he got to, he went to prison for a few months and was let out. I think it was about uh, nine months or so, and then he had to trial in Nevada because of an incident that happened there years before. So anyway, Ammon uh, got into a little trouble this weekend because he wouldn't wear a mask at the football game. Right. And the media just made it look like he was this anarchist guy. But I watched the video. Ammon was not violent. No. Now, you may not agree with his tactics, but what's your take on that? Because this kind of goes in right to what we're talking about, doesn't it? It does. And I actually do agree with his, his tactics this time. Um, he tried everything that he could, short of putting on a mask and restricting his oxygen. He offered to pay but stand outside. He wasn't around anybody. Um, you know, he, he did everything that he could to cooperate and, 
he like I say he wasn't around anybody so there no he wasn't he was right he was he was on the other side of the fence near the sideline but I don't even think he was close to having a football thrown at him no no and so if that doesn't kind of wake people up and tell them that this is not about safety this is about control and compliance and it the whole thing just made me really sad because I did watch the videos I've I've actually been following Ammon and his family for years because my daughters are friends with his brother Ryan's daughters. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, I don't always agree with his methods, but I, I absolutely agree with his message of, of liberty. And, um, you know, the government is just taking more and more of our rights away. And when is it going to be too much? I mean, I think it's too much right now, but... I don't know when people are going to realize that, you know, this is happening. They are. All right. Uh, we're back here. A little internet troubles. But uh, for those of you that listen to the podcast, uh, you won't notice it because I will just mix the files together the, with new technology. But anyway, we're back. Uh, you got to remember, we're in communist Oregon. And maybe they were listening to this conversation. But the power was out. But we're not going to let these communists uh, get their way, are we? No, at least not on this podcast. Anyway, uh, so back to, yeah, okay. So there, I'll admit, uh, there has been times where I haven't agreed with Ammon Bundy's tactics, but I also realize the message that he's trying to convey. And that's why I supported him from day one. And I, when I say day one, I'm going clear back to April of 2014 with Cliven. In fact, I've thought about doing a podcast just specifically about my experience at the Bundy Ranch because I've been there. Uh-huh. But uh, anyway, I think that it's going to, and it just, it just uh, reaffirms my belief. President Benson said that the U.S., well, Joseph Smith apparently said, now there's dispute on whether he actually said it, but I, I believe he said something like this, that the U.S. Constitution had hanged by a thread. And the elders of Israel say it. President Benson said it will not be the general authorities who save it. It will not be people in Washington. It will be church members. And I would actually add anybody who cares about the Constitution, really. And right. maybe it is people like yourself. Maybe myself, because I'm trying to get information out there. And Ammon, what do you think? I, I think that's exactly... I. Um, what will happen? It's gonna. It's going to have to be the people that, yeah. that rise up and save this country. Let me ask you a question. Dallin H. Oaks over the weekend gave a talk about obeying the laws of the land, and he talked about the Savior and how he had a coin of Caesar, saying we should pay taxes, and he was talking about you know how wicked the government was, and people asked him to trick him, but he held a coin out with Caesar and Dallin H. Oak said that we need to obey the laws of the land. What do you take of that experience, uh, given the f- conversation we just had about Ammon and your lawsuit? Now, one would say that your lawsuit is actually good because you're working in the system. What is your take on President Oaks's talk over the weekend? I, I took it. I don't, I've heard people talk about masks and, um, in reference to that talk. And I, I didn't personally, didn't think it had anything to do with masks. Um, specifically because he, he talked about existing laws. 
and mandates are not laws. The governor doesn't get to make laws. So, um, and he talked about a redress of grievances and going about things in the right way, in peaceful ways, which is, I believe, what we're doing with this lawsuit. Yeah, and I definitely think that, I would think, because, and I don't want to knock on Ammon or anybody but like that, but I would think just going off of our conversation and things like that, I would think that more people would actually get behind this lawsuit than some of the tactics that Ammon has used in the past, don't you think? I, I would hope so, yeah. Yeah, because people would say, you know, well, at least they're working in the system and whatever. Right. Um, yeah, so I've heard it said, and we've talked about this on my podcast with uh, Sam Bushman, who I know you've been interviewed. That's how I first heard about you, by the way. It was through Sam Bushman. Okay. But I've heard it said that there will be constitutional communities in the last days or constitutional tribes, whatever. Yes. I'm not a prophet. I'm not going to say this is true, but I am observing here, and I think what you're seeing and there could be a bigger picture. Like I said, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be a prophet and have all these revelations. I'm not that kind of person. But what I am seeing is county by county rising up, saying we're not going to enforce this rule. Now, I don't know how it is down there in Cedar City. I'm not there. My understanding is a lot of people are not wearing the masks in southern Utah from what I've been gathering on uh, certain shows that I've listened to down there. Is that true? It is true. I mean, there you still see, you know, quite a few people in masks, but it's not, um, for the most part, it's, it's, it's not a tense situation. I mean, the, you know, people are free to wear masks or not wear masks, and most people leave them alone down here. So at this point, it wasn't always that way, but. Yeah, I guess my point is I'm seeing counties rising up and maybe this is the start. Maybe it's county by county. You know, I used to think if there's hope, it would be the states. But some of these states, even Idaho has become pretty liberal. Right. But I do see counties and people rising up and saying, no, we're not conforming to this, especially in places like eastern Idaho, northern Idaho, uh, not so much in the Boise area, but certainly the outskirts. Of, well, certainly the, uh, you go an hour south of Boise, maybe even into Canyon County, which is uh, just next door to Ada County, which is in Boise. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing people not conforming to this rule as much. And what do you think? Do you think, uh, do you agree with my statement? I do. That's actually kind of what the... Um meeting with the attorney was last week is he exactly what you said is um the the tribes and he believes that it's it's that time and so he's actually meeting with people 10 people 10 to 20 people at a time and explaining what we're doing and um building these tribes so yeah what i would like to see happen and i know we're getting off topic but i want your viewpoint uh, because I think we've I think we've covered everything regarding the lawsuit, correct? 
I, I think so. It's a, I mean, it's a long lawsuit, but it's actually pretty simple. So Yeah. Okay. So uh, I do not... I, I do not condone violence. In fact, I don't even think we need to be violent. I think we need to peacefully assemble and do exactly what Mindy Croft and others are doing. I don't think we need violence at all. No. But what I would like to see happen is somebody like President Oaks, and it would even be nice if he did this. I don't think he will, but it would be nice if somebody got up there in general conference and maybe it should be somebody with an attorney background just because of the legal system that we're all in now. But I would love to see a general authority get up there in conference and talk about when is it okay for civil disobedience? Because one of the problems I had with uh, President Oaks' talk, and he said a lot of good things. I don't want to knock him because right. he is an apostle. But he said a lot of good things. I'm actually glad that he called violence out. I'm glad that he indirectly mentioned Antifa and some of these other groups that needed to be done. Yeah. But I would love to see him or somebody. I, I, I just had a problem with the fact that we didn't get any direction on when it is okay to be civilly disobedient. One of the things that I was thinking of just lately is Rosa Parks disobeyed the law of the land by not moving to the back of the bus. Because remember, segregation was legal in the South. So let's suppose that we were back in the 1960s. President Oaks got up there and talked about obeying the laws of the land. Well, I would like to ask President Oaks, is Rosa Parks someone you would have been talking about back in the 60s? What about Daniel? He didn't drink the drink that the king told him to. What about King Noah and uh, the people in King Noah's era? They didn't commit adultery or things like that, like they were asked to. Where do you draw the line here? And why do you think the general authorities do not talk about civil disobedience? Um, <clears throat> this might get me in trouble, but um, I think that the governor has a lot of um, sway in, in the church sometimes. And um, they, they just don't talk about liberty like they used to. No, they don't. And so I think that it's, it's just going to be up to us when our liberty is threatened. And, um, you know, maybe the church isn't going to provide that guidance, but they haven't come out and condemned it either. So... Yeah, perhaps President Benson was alluding to this time. Maybe they couldn't for legal reasons. Who knows? Although uh, the church did condemn the occupation of the wildlife refuge outside of Burns, although I can understand that one. We won't go there, but that I can understand why they did. Right. But, uh, you know, uh, um, I... I personally, as much as I like him, and I think that there would have been more effective ways to do what he was trying to do other than occupying a federal building. But again, I get the message, which is why I supported Ammon, but I understand why the church came out against that as well. But maybe President Benson was referring to this era where maybe for legal reasons, the church hasn't spoken out about it or whatever. Right. 
Well, uh, Mindy, is there anything else you want to talk about? Sorry for the delay in getting this podcast up and running and such. Um, just our GoFundMe page. We really need... To- oh, yeah. What is your GoFundMe page? Um, so if you go to GoFundMe and search Reclaim Our Rights, it's the very first one that pops up. Um, there's a street sign that says, um, basically, Crossroads Democracy Dictatorship. Um, so, yeah, we, we could really use the help. Unfortunately, we're fighting the state, and I find it ironic that we have to raise money to fight the state who's using our money to fight us. But Yeah, yes, that is ironic. We should make a song about that. Do you remember the song Ironic by Alanis Morissette? I do, yeah. Maybe we should make a song about uh, suing the state when we have all this taxpayer. That'd be an interesting song. It was. Anyway, uh, if you have nothing else to add, oh, by the way, stick with me here real quick because uh, I want to ask you something off the podcast. But uh, if there is a, uh, is there anything else? There's nothing else we've forgotten to cover. Uh, not that I can think of at the moment. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on to the podcast and we will talk. I will talk to you hopefully next week or the week after folks.